This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. What compels a man to leave a cushy job for the king for the task of recruiting volunteers to rebuild a wall amid horrendous opposition 900 miles away? The story of Nehemiah's leadership ability is pretty astounding, but before we learn the how of leadership, it's important that we learn Nehemiah's why. Why would Nehemiah, of all people, undertake such a difficult objective? We'll explore why today in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start building, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. But you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah's leadership acumen is on full display in these first two chapters. We learn in the last verse of chapter 1 that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. This occupation is significant because he had everything he could have ever wanted. He was in the presence of the most powerful man on the planet, King Artaxerxes, daily. His life was likely one of opulence and luxury, and he had little need, and yet God burdened him with the need to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah has little reason to care for such a work, and yet he is willing to risk everything for the chance to try to rebuild it. He has been implemented as the king's cupbearer and given great favor at his request. After having grieved over the plight of his people and spending hours in confession for the sin that had caused their demise, Nehemiah enters the presence of the king in grief. This demeanor was not customary, and it could get you killed, much the same as Esther's entrance to the king unannounced generations earlier. There are striking similarities to their bravery here. And so when the king notices Nehemiah's demeanor, he wastes no time divulging the source of his grief. He outlines the city's destruction and his desire to rebuild the walls. Like Esther, Nehemiah is bold in asking for the king's help in the plight of his people. He asks for leave to build the wall, safe passage to get there, and the resources to build it. 
But the king does all this and more, even dispatching a detail to accompany Nehemiah. Nehemiah gives the king a specific time to complete the task. He's making plans and organizing things. And God grants him terrific favor with the king. One has to wonder whether the story of Esther has any bearing on Artaxerxes' generosity to his cupbearer. Esther became queen in 478 as a young virgin, and Nehemiah requested to build the wall in 444. So the stories are likely connected. When Nehemiah arrives in the city, he inspects the ruins by night before going to the officials to assess the work before them. He travels the wall's perimeter to observe the rubble and what it would take to rebuild. The following day, Nehemiah entreats the leaders to help him build the wall. He then told them all that the king had already ordered, giving them everything that they needed to complete the objective. All they had to do was go to work. Nehemiah's organization as a leader here is inspiring. Like every good work, though, there will always be naysayers, people who are critical of the vision that God had given. These men question Nehemiah's motives in working for the Lord. They wonder aloud if he is rebelling against the king. Never mind that it was the king who sent them to do this. Nehemiah's response here is instructive. He doesn't defend himself. Remember, he did have letters from the king ordering this work to be done. Instead, watch what he says. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building. Nehemiah focuses on God's work, on what God has called him to do. He recognizes that the work is more significant than him or the naysayers who are critical of what he is doing. He acknowledges that God is the one who will grant success and that his job is not to defend God, but to work for him as his servant and to start building. Now, there are so many leadership lessons here. First of all, when it is God's work, he will go before it and prepare it, just as he did with Nehemiah, Esther, Mordecai, Artaxerxes, Xerxes, Daniel, Malachi, Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, they were all a part of this grand sweeping move of God, and Nehemiah was merely the next in line for God's multi-generational vision to restore his people. The work will always be more extensive than us. God will go before us and prepare the way. We are only a small segment of what God wants to do in this world. And so when we step in in obedience and take our place, God will endorse that work because it is always bigger than we are. The second thing to notice here is the importance of organization. Nehemiah knew that the sequence of how he presented this project to the leaders was essential. The same is true today. As leaders, we have to take steps to assess the situation, to recognize the issues and the potential problems, to arrange for the solutions to be developed, to pray and fast over them, to prepare all that's needed, and then enlist the help of the people. This preparation keeps everything focused on the task at hand. 
Nehemiah got close to that problem. And as one preacher has said, proximity always changes perspective. When we get close to a problem, we feel the urgency of the solution. But as long as we are far away, as we see things from a distance, we don't recognize the need to get to work. Close examination is what fuels our service. Thirdly, there will always be naysayers. God's work has never gone forward without opposition. And we have to understand that it is not the people's fault, but understand a natural enemy is fighting against the progress of the kingdom work in the world. The real enemy is Satan, and he is a defeated foe. Though he may inspire opposition to God's work through people, we must learn never to vilify those who oppose, only to pray that God works on their hearts. Prayer is an act of faith in God's ability to do what only God can do, turn the hearts of those who oppose his work. And we have to see it for what it is and understand that this is not the people. It's the enemy fighting back. But we can pray in confidence that Jesus has a vested interest in the obedience of his church to make disciples. He could not be more vested, and he will build his church, and it will advance to the very gates of hell, and those gates will not prevail against it. They cannot stand against the church of God who walks obediently to the Lord's command. Fourthly, we have to stay focused on the work at hand. We don't have to defend God's work. We don't have to argue with naysayers. All of that is counterproductive. All of that will keep us from getting to work. We have to understand that we are engaged in God's work in the world as believers. And all those who come against that advancement are not coming against us, but kingdom progress. There will always be rubble from the past that gets in the way of progress, but we can't let that be our focus. Listen, rebuilding is messy. It always has been, and it always will be. With every stone of rubble overturned, a memory, a sacred cow of sorts must be addressed. We must address these stones with compassion and determination. Remember, the walls were to be built that were to protect God's people. His name and his fame and the world were at stake. What did it say about God that his people's lives and city were in disrepair and disrepute? Did it not reflect on God and his faithfulness to his people? Nehemiah aligned his discontent with the fame of God, and that is always a winning combination. When our discontent aligns with God's fame, God will endorse the work because his name is at stake. Nehemiah realized that the rubble that had to be removed for God's fame to be witnessed among the nations. This was his why, and it is the key to understanding the grit, determination, focus, and organization with which Nehemiah approached his objective. Because it wasn't about him or them. It was about the fame of Jehovah among the nations. This focus is where we must orient the work in our day. We must recognize that though removing rubble is always as emotional as it is physical, 
What matters is not our fame in the past, but God's fame in the future. His glory in our generation is at stake, and we have to remember that. We have to see that rebuilding is God's work, and He will bring success. We have to focus His servants on His fame in the future, not our bygone glory. Sometimes the glory of our past hinders God's glory in the future, and this is no more apparent than when we begin to remove rubble and rebuild. We have to be patient, compassionate, determined, and faithful, always eyeing God's future glory through our present effort. So God, thank you for these timely truths. Help us to remain focused on the vision that you have called us to, of making disciples. Don't let us get sidetracked with detractors from this world. Lord, we want to be faithful servants, patiently building, understanding that you are the one who brings success, and it is your kingdom work to which we pledge our hands. Please help us be better organized and to stay close to the problem so that we feel the urgency of the moment. And help us to understand that the work of God in the world is more significant than our work, and that you will go before us to accomplish your purpose. Only let us act in accordance with it. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.